thanks again, as always, for listening. I appreciate anybody who listens to even one episode, and I appreciate everyone who's listened to so many. You keep me going. I'm so excited to share that now official on Patreon. You can find my Patreon page, become a member. It's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Again, that's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. My name, of course, is P-E-T-E-R-R-I-E-H-L. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. You can become a member today. The page is officially launched. There are three tiers of membership. Official patron membership tier is $3 a month. And with that, you'll get access to all interview episodes when they're published, mostly on Tuesdays with some published on Fridays. There are two to four interviews published each month. Lastly, you'll receive the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills at Will podcast news, and you'll get a shout-out on a future episode. That is the official patron tier of membership for $3 a month. There's the $5 a month for the all-access patron. With the all-access patron membership, you'll have access to all new interview episodes. Each month, like I said, there are two to four interview episodes. You'll get access to those as well as a monthly bonus episode or two that is an interview or an exploration of themes through two or three texts. One example would be an episode that I did called Righteous and Justified Anger that was explored through the works by Langston Hughes and Ralph Ellison or The Power of Flashback was one episode which explored the endings of The Godfather Part 2 sleepers and that was then this is now with the all access patron membership you'll also receive a refrigerator magnet with the chills at will podcast logo and the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations literary event calendar and the chills at will podcast news you will get a shout out on a future episode too with the vip patron tier which is ten dollars a month you'll get access to all episodes a monthly newsletter with reading suggestions and a calendar of literary events and updates on the Chills at Will podcast, access to a monthly AMA, Ask Me Anything, and a t-shirt with the Chills at Will podcast logo. There are two to four monthly episodes and one or two bonus episodes, which are interviews or discussions of themes as seen through multiple texts. VIP patrons will also receive a special shout-out on a future episode. I encourage you to please join Patreon for the Chills at Will podcast. As I say all the time, this is truly a labor of love. This is truly a DIY operation. I started in April of 2020, and it has been an absolute pleasure. 99.999% fun. I've gone to interview people like Disha Filia, what? Matt Bell. Brandon Hobson, Luis Alberto Orrea, Jean Guerrero, Gustavo Arellano, Taylor Bias, Gabby Bates, Alice Elliott Dark, Nadia Owusu, and so, so, so many more. Did I say Jess Walter? Did I say Jeff Perlman? Ingrid Rojas Contreras, Jamil John Cochai, Morgan Talty, Sadie Shore Parks. 
Rachel Yoder, Vanessa Angelica Villarreal, Kirsten Chen, Sam Quinones, Ion Grillo, Raina Kelly, Zach Harper, Michael Torres, Tracy Cato Kirayama, S.J. Sindhu, Roberto Lovato, Todd Goldberg, Steph Cha, Noel Kassler, Reina Grande, James Tate Hill, Navdeep Dylan Singh, Nikisha Elise Williams, Mia St. John, Susan Muladi Daraj, Sarah Borjas, and the list goes on and on. Future episodes include conversations with Allegra Hyde, with Justin Tinsley, Javier Zamora, Jose Antonio Vargas, Yasmin Ramirez, Kai Harris, Laura Worrell, so, so, so many cool people. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. What are you waiting for? See you over there. Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 158. It's a pleasure today to be joined by Javier Zamora. And a little bit about Javier. He was born in La Herradura, El Salvador in 1990. At the age of nine, he migrated to the United States to be reunited with his parents. Zamora holds a BA from the University of California, Berkeley, Go Bears, where he studied and taught in June Jordan's Poetry for the People. I've heard great things about that and an MFA from New York University. He is the recipient of scholarships to Breadloaf, Frost Place, Napa Valley, Squaw Valley, and Vona Writers Conferences, and fellowships from Canto Mundo and Colgate University, where he is the Olive B. O'Connor Fellow. His poems also appear in Best New Poets 2013, Indiana Review, Narrative, Plowshares, Poet Lore, Theater Under My Skin, which is Kalina Press in El Salvador and elsewhere, He's had his work recognized with a Meridian Editor's Prize, Consequence Pro- Poetry Prize, and the Organic Weapon Arts Chapbook Contest. He enjoys hiking, camping, and is just getting into backpacking. And of <laughs> course, 2022 Solito, which will be the main focus of our discussion, as well as Unaccompanied, which was a was that a was that a chapbook or a poetry collection, or how would you poetry collection? Poetry collection, yeah. And also very well um, awarded as well. Good afternoon. Welcome. How are you today? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Thank you. This is, I mean, let's keep it real. The Salvador and Spanish have the best grosseria. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. We we cut everything down and make it sound beautiful. So cut everything right, and also a lot of compounds. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. Hija de la is it hijo hijo de Ique. la Ique. And then we you don't have to say the e. You say hue. 
And then it's going to be what? So like little, 70, little things like that. Yeah. Okay, man. I'm not going to say the rest of that cuss word, but, um, but man, there's some great <laughs> ones. Like we were talking about before we started recording, um, you know, I appreciate always learning um, more Spanish for sure. And, and um, so, so seamlessly that you did it in the book. I mean, you, you use, I guess you'd say Spanglish, but, you know, even when there's a question that you have in English, you have like the upside down exclam- uh, you know, exclamation point or question mark. What were, I guess, start off with that. What were your, what was your thinking on, um, you know, translating, not translating, italics, you know, um, and yeah, I mean, even using like vols, which, you know, I think is only mainly used in Central America, mm-hmm. right? So what was your thinking on that? Was it like, hey, full speed ahead, if people don't get it, they don't get it? Or how, how did that go for you? Um, first, like Boseo is mostly used in Honduras, some parts of Guatemala and El Salvador, but also predominantly in Argentina, okay. which is why I lost my voice because I rooted for oh. Messi on oh, Sunday. Okay. <laughs> Today is Tuesday. So that's, okay. <laughs> I'm not sick. It's just me <laughs> screaming for Messi. Um, anyways, yeah, you know, growing up after I immigrated, I grew up in California and, you know, I talk a lot about assimilation to the English speaking world that is the United States. But also if you're an immigrant, especially in, um, in California, in the Bay Area at the time, you also have to assimilate to the dominant Spanish-speaking world there. And for us, Central Americans, it is a very Mexican-heavy, Mexican-centric world. And, you know, even being in school in in the early 2000s and then in, in like, the aughts and then even into the 2010s, We were there were questions of like representation, and usually the Spanish, even in most of the movies that we still watch in 2022, mm-hmm. tends to be very Mexican centric. Mm-hmm. And during that time, Salvadorans have become the second biggest immigration group right. in the United States. We just surpassed um, Puerto Ricans, wow. and it makes a huge difference. Because I don't remember seeing myself in a book Mm. because even the Spanish was different. And I think it's about time that us Central Americans and us from XYZ country in the world that we just really heighten our eccentricities, our differences. Uh And, you know, that the more particular you get, the more universal it also becomes Mm. because it tends to be more. I don't know, it, more true, more honest. And that's what I was going for with, with all, all of those decisions that you talked about. Right. Oh, I appreciate that. As a Spanish speaker, I'm a, a Spanish teacher. I'm embarrassed to say this, but like, what do you call the upside down exclamation point? Does it have a name? I don't know. No, I, right? <laughs> I actually don't know. It's, okay. Just like, okay. <laughs> it's just a question. It's just what it is, right? Yeah. Well, you know, that that's also what I hated about reading out loud. You know, I came here in fourth grade learning English. They, the teacher asked you to speak out loud. Sure. And I, my decision to include the upside down exclamation or uh-huh. question mark is that in Spanish, if you're reading out loud, you know that you're entering a question. But in English, you don't. Okay. You get surprised by the end. I was like, oh, I read that wrong. That oh, yeah. should have been a question. Yep. And I hate oh, being yeah, tricked. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. That, and, that, and that works very well, just like everything else in the book. Congratulations on all the awards. Um, 
you know, what Jenna Bush, right. Has had you was, is the book club and you were on to the, to today's show featured there. work of art is the word. It really is just a masterpiece. Thank and you. so, you know, I know, I'm sure there are many, many more words to go. I know. And it definitely comes through in that final, in your, like your letter from 2021 that's, that ends the book. Mm-hmm. I know you didn't do it for the awards, but you know, how does it feel like to get these awards and to be featured? Is it like, do you feel like you're carrying others on your back in a positive way? Sorry. I was also going to say, is, is there a sort of like, maybe guilt's not the word, but you know, for maybe for people who didn't have the chance that you did, or, you know, I mean, you, t- you know, the Marcellos who maybe made his own choices, you know, those type of people mm-hmm. like, I guess, yeah, I guess, how does it feel like, what do you feel like on your shoulders? Who do you feel on your shoulders? You know, I couldn't talk about the things in this book that happened to me when I was nine. I didn't begin to really look at them until I was 29. Mm. Even though I have a book of poems that came out when I was 27. Yeah. Um, to put it this way, I only talk about Chino, I think, in three pages out of the 88 pages of poetry. Okay. Um, I rarely talk about what happened to me in Guatemala and what happened to me in Mexico. Mm. If you look at my poetry book, there's a huge silence that I needed to get off my chest. And for 20 years, everything that you mentioned, I carried very heavy. I think entering the poetry world, I felt like I needed to do this for Central Americans, I needed to do this for Salvadorans, I needed to do it, do this, this meaning just existing and just writing. Mm. Um, and I felt so much pressure. Mm. And it was that pressure that really put me in a very dark path. And this is we're talking about when I still didn't have a green card during the Trump administration. Mm. So there were a lot of things happening externally and internally. Finally, 29, I find myself with the privilege of having a green card, the privilege of having a big enough paycheck that I can afford therapy. Mm -hmm. And I find also the time um, to to write. And all of those things led me to really just do this for myself. You know, this is really a advertisement of the power of therapy yeah um, and and i like that it's it's turned into that because i find myself talking about therapy this every mm-hmm. every interview or everything because it really did you know if you really think about it my job during the writing of this book which took me three years mm-hmm. was not to be a writer my job was to heal mm-hmm. like i would think about my one of the biggest traumas of my life, which is not the only one, but the one that has really shaped me as a little kid, I was getting paid to think about this 24 seven. And I mean 24 seven, because once you're, you're ready to go there, I mean, I was trying everything, even my subconscious, I would, I would dream and be back in some of the settings that I describe in the book. Mm every everything in my body i would wake up with aches i was there which is also a privilege in of even of itself Mm. and to the point that if you are doing this 
and I'm only talking about my personal journey. Sure. I, in the, when my poetry book came out, it was like I was replicating the journey. I was rarely home. I was drinking too much. I was not happy. By the time that Solito comes out, which is actually more personal than my first book of poems, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Everything is, is just extra. I didn't think of the awards. I don't, I didn't think of the pressure that it is for me to be now, like perhaps the first Salvadoran to be in the New York Times bestseller list. That's just, that's just icing on the cake. And, and when you don't think of those things in the writing of it, and I have to be honest, I did want the awards when I was writing my book of poems. Um, and for this one, it's just, I just wanted to fucking heal. I wanted to be happy, uh, to really not have that weight, um, in the back of my shoulders that everything is just like unreal. I don't, I don't think everything has really, um, no, I haven't had the time to truly process what it means to be who I am now. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Thanks so much for sharing that. And I mean, obviously I know it's personal and like confidentiality and such like, so you can say little or all or whatever, but like with a therapist, like, you know, how, how, how can you find a therapist who knows your, were you able to find someone who knows your experience who lived it? Or was it more just like a good therapist is a good therapist? Um, both. And it's also up to you, the individual, you know, I've, I've been forced to be in, in therapy as early as seventh grade. Sure. because I was a academically great student, but I had behavioral problems. Um, and I want to say I've had close to 10 therapists in my life. All, all of them, except for two, have been um, white, white. So only two of them were non-white. Mm. One of them was Salvadoran, but... In hindsight, I don't think that mattered. I think what mattered most is the person that I have now. She is a child immigrant herself Mm. who came here when she was five. Mm -hmm. And she's from the DR, Mm. from a very similar uh, socioeconomic background as mine, Mm. which means poor. Um, And I think because of that and how transparent she is as a therapist mm-hmm. like for me to know that uh, other therapists wouldn't share that information but the transparency her honesty and her background really allowed me from the very first meeting and the second meeting onwards mm-hmm. to really trust her with the information that I was going to pour yeah. onto onto our lab so I think all of those factors have been indicative for me to really grow this time my 10th try of poetry <laughs> hey I, I well i appreciate you sharing that um keep coming back to the shoulders metaphor but got, kind of like you know on whose shoulders are you standing like i was i've been i was blessed to be able to speak with fellow salvadoran american from the bay is roberto lavato mm-hmm. unforgetting is mind-blowing yeah. um you know um who who are some of the the writers, you know, in your, in your very young days up to now who really have inspired and, and challenged you. Thank you for mentioning Roberto Lovato. You know, my, my Instagram handle is Jay-Z Salvi poet. Um, I remember being a undergrad 
with this organization that no longer exists called Uceo with Salvadoran University students. Mm. Um, and he spoke at the retreat, I want to say in 2011. And he had, he gave, he meaning Roberto Luato gave this um, presentation about being like, we as Salvadorans still don't know what to call ourselves. So mm. even us, we say, are we El Salvadoran? Are we Salvadorian with an I? Are we Salvadoran with an E? Do we just cut the I and the E? Are we just Salvadoran? Or, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is a question of identity. Um, and so he was suggesting just Salvi. And that was the first mm-hmm. time that I heard Salvi. Wow. So as, as from an identity point of view, Roberto has done so much for all of us. Um, mm-hmm. Salvadorans born here or immigrants who came here. Yeah. Um, around the same time, you know, I didn't major in English um, or creative writing. I'm a history major. Okay. Uh, but um, I did take these classes in uh, poetry for the people. So I must say June Jordan. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. my my foundations are with uh, her work hmm. and. Also, Roque Dalton, who back as early as 2008, if you Googled Salvadoran or El Salvadorian poet, Roque Dalton would come up and he still does. And he's like our Shakespeare or, um, you know, every every nation has their their person. And for us is El Salvador, Roque Dalton. So those two... um, more contemporary um, would be Sharon Old and Yusuf Komunyaka, okay. just from their uh, confessional aspect. And that was like the early foundations. No, Salito's not confessional at all, right? <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Yeah, so you know, usually I ask um, about about growing up and in relationships with language, and yeah, I mean, there's something still to ask you about that. But obviously, a lot of your childhood is is in the book itself, is, is in Solito. But I mean, it was all downhill from there, right? In second grade, you freaking you met what the president? Yeah, the Salvadoran president. Yeah, yeah. So well, uh, I, I can I context? can curse in this, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Who was a piece of shit? Okay, you know, it's 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 weird that I like shook his hand, but yeah. Did, did you know that at the time or you were just a kid? No, yeah. no, just a kid. Like, oh, my God, you are perhaps the first white person that I meet and you're the Salvadoran president. Huh. <laughs> yeah. At the age of seven or eight, huh? Yeah. Are you a Simpsons fan at all? Uh, I Yeah. yeah. I've only like... seen it in Spanish. You know, it lost okay. so much. Uh, I've never seen it in English. Yeah. I, I, I was a hardcore fan when I was in El Salvador. There's our Omero, right? What is Bart? What yeah. Is Bart, is Bart Bartolo or is he just Bart in Spanish? Bart. But okay, but yeah. but there's a there's a there's a thing where where like Bart tries he goes out with his friends or whatever for the summer or just like, and he like claims he's at a grammar rodeo, mm. and like he somehow convinces his parents that that's a real thing. But a grammar <laughs> contest is a real thing though, huh? It's a real thing. Yeah. You, you have like a trophy still or anything like that? I do still have the medal. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. So I mean, uh, were you? Sounds like your grandfather came from like the mil- like a military background, like police possibly, mm-hmm. right? 
did you, I mean, did you have, um, what kind of foundation did you have for the written word? I mean, were there magazines and books all over the house, houses where you grew up? Like, what was your relationship with, with the written word? And I'm, I'm going to drag my grandpa right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, no. Okay. So my, my grandpa to this day goes to the market and gets the newspaper and reads it for like an hour. Yeah. And he reads it front to back. So he's always been a great reader. And he encouraged my mom to also go to school and, mm -hmm. you know, go that route. So there, there's on that side of the family. On the other side, my dad is, he fled the country because he was a devout leftist. And mm. if you're a leftist, I think you have to not only read, but also yeah. question. Huh. And it's the questioning that my dad uh, taught me. And this is something that I, I don't think I've, I've, I've said in any other interview, but when I got to this country, you know, my mom, very first day, I had just crossed the border, June 11th. She's like, here are the books and you have to learn 10 English words a day. And from June until August, I had to learn 10 words each day, which worked. Mm. On the other hand, my dad had a copy of... Um, uh, a Death Foretold oh, by okay. by uh, Garcia Marquez, hey. which is advanced reading. Sure. I was nine and my dad's here, take this book in English and here's the book in Spanish the and try to try to read it. Mm. And, it. and I didn't complete the book. And he's like, here's this dictionary. If you don't know what a word means, look it up. And I didn't finish the book. That was when I was in fourth grade, I didn't finish it, finish it until seventh grade. And it's like a hundred pages. So this is okay. words were always around. Mm -hmm. And, and this is, I have told this story, but because my mom made me, both of them made me not only learn, but memorize new words. Mm -hmm. I started school in August by November or late October in fourth grade. Uh, all of fourth grade had a spelling bee and I had just graduated ELL class mm. and guess who won the fourth grade spelling bee? Yeah. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's my parents. Word? Galleon. Galleon? Mm -hmm. Oh, shoot. Two L's, right? Yep. Oh, man. Yep. Dang. And I remember I knew it because in this version of the dictionary and the dictionary, I think it's in Oxford or I don't know, but it has a Jaguar in the front and it's okay. like blue, white and blue with a Jaguar in the middle. And if you look up galleon, it actually has a picture of a galleon, which is just mm -hmm. like a little boat, which is how I remembered how uh -huh. to spell it. Okay. Whatever works, right? Yeah. Oh, man. So as you got into like high school and college, I, I mean, were you, you said you were a history major. Were you, you know, like, were you like on the, in the school paper? Were you like writing poems just on your own? Like, where did the writing part come in? Later. I did not want to be a writer. I did not even want to read books. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's fair for me to say that I would uh, spark notes books. I was, you're, <laughs> you're, you're. <laughs> I am shocked. Absolutely shocked. Uh, I really wanted to be an engineer, and uh, and then uh, and then calculus hit, and I did not understand right, it, and right, so, right. Whoop, yep. and so around seventeen, um, yeah, a poet came in and 
taught, I think, Pablo Neruda. Mm-hmm. And from then on, she gave us an assignment. And the assignment was, tell us about your home, where you're from. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really thought about El Salvador. Meanwhile, I'm in this deep assimilation, talking about assimilation phase, where at points I refuse to even speak to to accept that I speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would just, I, I don't understand, I don't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. So I was in that phase when this prompt came in and it just unlocked everything. And I had just also read Motorcycle Diaries, All which, right. you know, it's a memoir. It's it's a travel memoir. So much better than the movie, I, right? Yeah, that I think, you know, Solito is a travel memoir. Huh. Um, so I think that was like the first time that I was like, oh shit, you can just talk about a road trip that you took in your life. Yeah. I can do that. I've, I've done that. Yeah. 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 I wonder how like the Bay Area shaped you. You know, I mean, Oakland, Berkeley, like there's a history of, of protests and activism, and progressivism, Black Panthers. And, you know, I wonder how the Bay Area affected you. Uh, I think I, so I got that prompt. I was reading Che Guevara, and after you read Che Guevara, it's rare if you don't become a super Che Guevara fan. Even, you know, I I let my hair grow. I I would wear Che Guevara t-shirts. I became, and then my dad began to tell me about his leftist leanings, and being in the Bay Area, um, you know, there's a protest all the time. I think the first mm. protest I went to was the Darfur protest. Oh yeah. Um, I think back in looking, 06. Looking back at me, can you see that green that green poster? Yeah, right. yeah. So I was there at the Embarcadero, and mm-hmm. I just remember being like, oh, shit, like people come out for a cause. That's fucking dope. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my dad began to tell me about, like, the times that he would go and protest in El Salvador, like what it was like growing up in, in a war. And from then on, I was like, oh, wow, I don't know any of that history. Mm-hmm. Why don't... I shift gears since I can't do calc anymore. <laughs> uh, I want to be a historian. And at that time in 07, in my country, El Salvador, history wasn't a subject that you could major in at any university in my country. That changed in 2011. Um, but I think just knowing that fact I sincerely wanted to go to Berkeley, major in history, and then say fuck it to the United States because I was still undocumented and go back to El Salvador and teach history. Oh, uh, wow. You know, the national, that was my teenage dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're not too old for that. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Well, yeah. I mean, I know Roberto Lovato and Unforgetting talks about that idea of like, if you're not teaching history like is trite but like you know the idea of you're gonna recreate the the, the mistakes of the past and all that so, so yeah. it was literally against the law huh yeah oh man man were you you're you're probably a little young for it but like did you get any like, rage against the machine in those days i didn't you know i was i was more on the other side of um immortal technique oh okay like yeah. the rap that the yeah. rap protest side of, yeah. of things yeah, you know, not the rock. That rock right. came later. Yeah. Well, hey, Zach's one of the best MCs. But anyway, no. But um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I don't, I don't know extreme and a lot, a lot, a lot about a moral technique. But I feel like he's up there with like rage and like system of a down, where like every song, like there's no songs about love. You know. What I mean? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, talking yeah. about the cute girl and you know who lives down the street like they're hardcore like imperialism and che yeah, Guevara and, imperial, yeah you know raging against the machine they had their liner notes were like recommended readings yeah you know? yeah <laughs> chomsky and Franz fanon anyways oh man i would love to get into solito even just starting off with the title like why not solo is solito is it that the, the the ito the kid the little one yeah you know you don't i don't know maybe it's a a, a salvi a salviness but you don't say oh i don't you say oh estoy, estoy solito no nobody's here with me oh right. solo si sí, estoy solito yeah. I, i don't know um yeah. but it's more it's, it's more of like the word it's just to me i see it as three aspects you know um Before I take the trip, mm. my dad had already left. I grew up without a dad um, in the sense that, you know, he still communicated with me, but he, I don't remember being in the world where mm. I remember what he smelled like or, or, you know. And then my mom leaves when I'm five. So then I'm solito in the sense that my parents are in there. And then in during the trip, the nine weeks, first I'm with my grandpa mm -hmm. and then he leaves. And there's nobody that I know that's with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So I am by myself. But then these strangers, particularly Patricia, Carla, um, and Chino, they go from strangers to being the family that helped me survive during mm -hmm. those seven weeks in which I was truly without anybody that I knew. But then they leave. And that's the third aspect of the only people that could attest to everything that I talk about. And the only three that were with me from the beginning mm -hmm. in El Salvador, they also leave. Right. And so there's like the before the trip, the during the trip, and after the trip. And I think it's the after that really got to me. So mm. this title becomes internalized. And so this nine-year-old kid in the Bay Area grows up feeling that there's literally nobody that can understand what he has just survived. And the only three people that can, yeah. ha he has also lost contact with. Mm. And what does that do to a kid growing up in a rich county, but in the poor side of town, with all the brown people during a time when being undocumented wasn't a thing that you could share with people or a thing that was okay. Yeah. That really fucks with you. Yeah. yeah yeah oh my gosh um you know i mean like you said they they were the only three people who could understand and as much as you can you make the reader's sympathy become empathy but it's not 100 possible we didn't go through the trip with you but the way you describe it is is just you know like an artist but it you know it, you can't help but think about especially in recent years with like central american the migrants right especially younger people do you Do you feel like your your individual, your solo story is like indicative of so many other stories? Have you been able to talk to more recent arrivals? Like, I mean, I feel like it's um, impossible to read this book and not feel for those who are making this ultimate journey. I, in a way, I was forced to write this book because during the height of Uh, the child unaccompanied uh, minors at the border, which mm -hmm. was into oh, 16 to 17. Okay. And that was when I, I saved the height 
not by numbers because now there's there are more but from a media perspective Mm. when your first book of poems hasn't even come out and you feel like you are sharing a secret and then that secret is on every tv screen on every newspaper Mm. all these horrific pictures are just like on blast it really fucked with my head. It really traumatized me. And then not only that, during that time, most of the coverage was being done by non-immigrants themselves. Right. A lot of books have come out, not from immigrants themselves. Wait, a lot you're of not movies. talking about you're not talking about initials JC, are you? <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't I don't I don't give it what to give it that time of year, but that wasn't the only one. There were so many. Uh and so it seemed that everybody wanted to make a quick buck out of a story mm. that they did not truly understand. I'm a survivor. Sure. All these people are survivors. All the a lot of these pictures being taken by the New York Times, those people don't have. There was, a, I doubt that they have asked for that permission for that horrific picture to be shared everywhere, mm-hmm. and that also really fucked with me. And so that's what the other aspect of this. There's the healing aspect of it, but then externally, all this shit was going on. And then we have a president who completely hates me. You know, uh, me being represented in all these people. And it was just like the last straw. And all these external things put me in a spiral. And luckily in that spiral, I was able through therapy to shift the narrative and to hopefully paint a truer picture because I hope that in Solito, the reader doesn't only look at the negative because yes, even if you are ever in a life or death situation, you would know that if you don't create hope a lot of times, not always, but you're not going to make it. And as a little kid, I think my little nine-year-old brain understood that. And the people around me, the adults, Chino, Patricia, and Carla also understood that. And because if you just focus on the negative, like a lot of these journalists and a lot of these narratives tend to do, which is why they're not true accounts, Hmm. you don't make it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Well, yeah, I mean, it it sounds like, you know, it started off as a joke, right? the, 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 The little family that you guys heard the, some of the gringos say, okay, and you started to say, okay, with a laugh but like you said it was you were pumping yourselves up it was yeah we have to right yeah yeah the epigraph is from uh katie katie cannon our bodies are the texts that carry the memories and therefore remembering is no less than reincarnation. That's deep. Mm-hmm. And then it's uh, my, my print is not too good. Here's it. Le- Le- Lacey Abrego. Uh-huh. Lacey Abrego. 
right? Both boys and girls, for example, made references to the time loss and particularly to the uniqueness of a mother's love. More than one also described feeling as if they had a hole in their heart due to their mother's absence. In this way, they're always enveloped by a sense of longing. You know, the idea of having a hole in your heart. I mean, there's so much about the book that, you know, where Javier, I would say Javier, like Javiercito, you know, and, and acting like mom is Patricia, and it becomes almost real, becomes real for her, becomes real for you. I guess the question too is like, you know, obviously people are, are when people see kids suffering, it hits them a different way than it does adults. Is there something too about like, okay, someone might say, oh, you know, Javier, he was such a great student and he was, you know, bien, bien portado and everything like this. Is there something that you think where sometimes people like th that, that narrative that you're talking about where people say like, oh, so-and-so is not outstanding, at least you know, on the outside, we can't see him as outstanding or her as outstanding, and maybe he's not worthy of as much respect. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I would 100% agree with you. Um, which, you know, for a lot of these two, um, I think that the term immigrant has become, after years, decades of the coverage, that it's become a negative term hmm. to, to the point that the average human being if they hear immigrant, even immigrants themselves, like I have done, you are already starting from a less than. Mm. So what if we change the word? You know, like literally, mm. why, don't, why don't we treat these people coming over the border as survivors? Sure. You know, Capital we, it, it, especially now, and, and I take this, the example that I use is the Ukraine war. Mm. People could easily... And outside, outside of the racial aspect, you can really empathize with somebody who is fleeing a, a town that has, you know, has been bombed. We get that. Our, you know, the average person, if you don't agree with that, you're a complete piece of shit. Right. But you're not going to publicly say, I don't think that these people can come in because they literally just lost everything. They're they have survived something. Sure, sure. Similarly, these people, they're not surviving bombs, they're surviving bullets, they're surviving poverty, they're surviving extreme hunger, X, Y, and Z. If, if we just refer to them with the same words outside of the R word, which is refugee, because refugee, that, that, is, that gets into the debate, are they actually refugees, are they not? Uh, right. Point blank, they're just yeah. surviving something as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Words matter, right? I, 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 th I think that they do, and and I think that creates, could create more empathy, and it and it gets harder to dismiss. Mm. Similarly, you know, I think that people can read my book because it's a kid's telling it. Yes. It is so easy for humans to dis disregard other adults or people that we perceive as adults. And mm -hmm. that's a different conversation if and of itself. <laughs> but in the immigration system, uh, the immigration system, and I would go as far as say that Americans are so obsessed with helping kids. But the point, the moment that legally speaking that kid becomes an adult which in mm. the immigration system is 18 and one day one minute old okay. if there's an immigrant at the border he's 17 
and 364 days old, 23 hours and 59 minutes old, he can qualify mm. for refugee status. But if he gets here one minute and one second after that, they're fucked. Jeez. There's no possibility for them to be to get refugee status. Yeah. And that is the same way of how we think of yeah. this empathy. Yeah. And I think it is easier for the average American to read this book. It's like, oh, a kid. I, I feel so terrible for this kid. But had I been a 22-year-old, I think the empathy would be a little less. So I'm just trying to, to right. shift that and and be aware of that as well. Well, I mean, just an absolute towering achievement. Like, how did you get into the, I mean, how did you get into the nine-year-old mindset? Like, there, you know, there are references before you leave El Salvador to, you know, Star Wars and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And you're thinking about what the U.S. is like. And would you say palomitas in El Salvador? Okay. Yeah, you'd be eating, you know, popcorn at the movie theater in the U.S. and air conditioned and, you know, um, P.O. 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 that that the kids song. Right. And you're like you're seeing the the people like that and you name the the cacti, what skinny and pokey or something like that. Right. It's just like you do such an incredible job, like getting us into the mindset of a nine year old. How how did you do that? Uh, In one word. Yeah. In a in a. To keep it short, this has also been my attempt at rescuing a childhood that was taken away from me. Mm. Um, and if you talk to my closest friends, they all have hinted at this. And it has taken me years for me to actually acknowledge that I am very childlike. You know, I, I'm very like I am I am the type of person who they if I've never looked at a plant. I like go and like take a leaf and like smell it because uh, <laughs> I've never seen it. I want to know what it sure. smells like and, sure. and what and what it, and what it is. Um, I I would stay in that same bush and look for insects, things like that that mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. are perhaps um, unique to me because I went through something that really stopped my childhood yeah. from growing. Yeah. The moment that I try my first cigarette, you know, days after uh, my grandpa leaves and I'm truly solito by myself, I think that was the beginning of the end of my childhood. Mm. Um, and so writing and and really going back and really trying to put myself in that mindset, which subconsciously uh, other people tell me that I've that stayed with me. But really acknowledging it and heightening it has actually been healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have I've rescued aspects of myself that I had shunned or forgotten about. Yeah. 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 Man. So, you know, so cool that it's 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 been helpful and healthful for you because it's just it's just such a great read. So, you know, before you go to El Salvador, you, we get to know about growing up in a small fishing town. And is it pronounced Ma- Mali? Your, your Thea? How, is that short yeah. for something or? Marlene. Marlene. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. So, you know, she's 23. She's like a big sister. Um, you know, you kind of, you're, you're nine at the time and, you know, she's, she's great for you, but she's not mom, right? You're with your abuelos. Mm-hmm. They're great. You love them, but they're not mom. They're not dad. And so you're excited about going to the States, hoping to get there. 
you say goodbye to your friends, you give them the you know ceremonial toy and everything like that. And then Don Don Dago, mm-hmm. All right? So he's around a lot. And he's kind of a, seems to be a friend of your grandpa. You get you seem like you have some bonding with your grandpa though on the way to to like the next stop as you become begin the journey. What was that like bonding experience like and having to say goodbye? In a lot of ways, he he really helped me. He gave me the tools that I needed to survive. Mm. You know, because you know, reading I I chose a epigraph that you just read from uh, the body keeps the score because it took me reading that book to realize that early on, I think it's chapter like three, there's a checklist uh, um, of people who have suffered a childhood trauma mm. and how that is enacted in, in, in their psyche. Like literal and people of, or like a, like a, like a, like a archetype. Uh, literal people. Like and and like there's, there, there's a checklist that okay. you can like clinically speaking, if you check at least more than seven of them, you mm-hmm. have had childhood trauma. Right, I, right, I, right. I, I forget Ace, the Aces, I think. Yeah. Adver- adverse, or we talk about that a lot in education. Adverse childhood experiences, some of that effect. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I had like nine. Mm-hmm. And, and, and one of them, the one that really was like, oh, shit, was that these children have trouble or could have trouble uh, being potty trained or learning basic mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm like tying your shoes, which for me, I couldn't, I refused to learn to tie my shoes, even though I was a kid who was the valedictorian and I shook the president's hand because I was smart. Mm-hmm. And I, I still didn't, I wasn't potty trained. I refused to. And for these children, and now I'm talking about myself, but also clinically speaking, mm-hmm. they refuse this because they have, have attached that role to their parent that is now gone. My mom was potty training me when she left. Mm. And so I refused to do that. What my grandpa did during those two weeks that we were together, he knew, everybody knew that I wasn't potty trained. I would always like poop behind the outhouse and like cover it with leaves. Um, And so he made sure that he was going to be there and like literally on the other side of the door. Mm -hmm. So perhaps the best thing that my grandpa did in order to, for me not to be a weird kid that could be a nuisance for the rest of the trip was for him to get me comfortable pooping in on the toilet. So there's that. And he gained that trust by telling me stories. And, you know, I mean, he was an alcoholic. I was scared of him. Right. And he really, in hindsight, he did the impossible. He not only made me feel comfortable, but I looked forward to hearing his stories and he also helped me uh, get potty trained and uh, he also introduced or reintroduced the idea of Cadejo mm. that I was going to have this like mythical dog protecting me and as a little nine-year-old that just made gave me the confidence that I needed to I think survive so well, the, un- the unspoken hero here is my grandpa is right right a lot of times right I mean you're whispering Cadejo, Cadejito, right? I mean, is that is it like an alebrije? Like, what's the comparison to that? Uh, what's an alebrije? Like, you know, an alebrije. <laughs> I can't even describe it. Like the, have you seen Coco? A película? Oh, yeah. Remember like the dog slash, it, but it flies, it's got wings. 
Oh yeah, like that. that this thing. is or this is more like a like a fox or like a wolf. It's, it's 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 not that because I think in 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 that you know we are the Cadejo is like a Mayan it has Mayan background and it's literally and every town thing has different little things which is why I appreciate okay uh, some towns in Guatemala also believe in the Cadejo but it's just mm -hmm. like this mythical figure that protects you okay. when you go out and. And you only, you know, you always often say it's like, oh shit, like I was so shit faced, but I managed to make it home. <laughs> you have a cadejo protection. Someone's looking you know, out for me. That, okay. that, that, it, it's not somebody. It's this ah, mythical thing. Uh -huh. um, and so, and every, you know, everybody is different. Like blah blah blah. Yeah. Different little things. Yeah. Oh, okay. Appreciate that. So you know, so one of the first things that happens is from. I guess from, you know, so crossing into Guatemala, from Guatemala to Oaxaca, Mexico, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the boat, the boat trip, I mean, the description of that, I mean, I'm a, I'm a nervous flyer. I've, a few times I've been on the, on a boat too. I, I hate it. You know, I don't get sick necessarily, but I just hate it. And so just the visceral, the way you describe it is, you know, I, I wish it were fiction. It'd be, you know, great, great reading, but unfortunately it was true, true life. The, the way you describe the stories I'm so interested in, and I forget the exact name you gave him, but the one guy who basically goes crazy, mm -hmm. right? And I mean, would he would he have jumped into the water if people didn't stop him? Like, and just just drowned? Uh, he was so afraid of drowning that I think, yeah, I I think that's why we stopped, and and that that was the scariest, and there were a lot of scary moments, but for me, I think uh -huh. because it was the very first. Yeah. Like I've never forgotten that man. Right. Um and as a little kid, it was it reminded me weirdly, and I don't I don't know if I mentioned this or I, I equate the two, but it reminded me of my grandpa coming home drunk mm. and just like breaking things. Yeah. Um it was different because my grandpa was more angry and to this grown man who was you know um big mm -hmm. um and so it was hard for the other men around him to like control him right but he 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 was he just became a kid mm -hmm. and as a kid i was like oh i thought only i i thought that that was my role my my, my role in this mm -hmm. boat and that just completely freaked me out um, there's some extra scary about an adult getting scared right and yeah like and so, yeah. yeah, for the reader, it's a secondhand scare for sure. Um, you know, so the the family that kind of the family in quotes that takes takes shape is Marcelo, who is from the same town. He's supposed to take care of. He, you know, he's kind of like, I guess you might say, cholo ish. Nah, I don't. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't use that word. He's just, you know, a refugee who is who is struggling and has been sent back to El Salvador and has a very tough exterior very tough exterior like in the u.s in other words he kind of he, he maybe took on some of that toughness but you mm -hmm. don't but it maybe wasn't him mm -hmm. maybe it wasn't him so he you know he's from the same town right yeah and so he was you know grandpa was kind of like hey you know he, he's gonna take care of you and he's back and forth there are times when he shows warmth and a lot of times where he doesn't there's chele does chele like the same as like gabacho does it mean yeah. like white, white like white guy yeah yeah, white, yeah. right <laughs> chino um, and then Patricia and Carlo, Patricia is whether well, it's the right name or not, but it's the same name as your mom. And so there's this, mm -hmm. there's this buy-in for sure. 
I said, I said, Carlos, sorry, Carla. Um, and, you know, by the end of the book, of course, there's, there's, there's a real um, family for sure. As they go through one, as you go through one of the trips, right. And this is where it's in the, before, you know, you guys are stopped on the bus, you're, you're, you run off of it. You have to walk later when there's all this craziness and there's people are sleeping. Marcelo just leaves. He's out. Mm-hmm. And what I appreciate is that you, you, there's a human heart and we have, we have empathy and that you didn't, you, you could easily have said, I hate that guy. He's the worst. He's terrible. What a ladron, this and that, but you wished him well. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what we get as much as we can, not having gone through the experiences. We get that bond that you that, that's created through all the incredible experiences you have. The, the desert. Have you read Luis Alberto Rea? Yeah, The Devil's Highway. But on the, on the, on the Marcelo point, you know, again, you know, this is this is the the thing. Like you are surviving. You're trying to survive. I have long forgiven Marcelo because if I were to be put in the exact same place, mm-hmm. um, and you recognize that either I don't know, there could have been many reasons. Either he didn't have the money to pay, um, right. or he knew that. Um, these people, you know, as, as a kid, I completely trusted the Coyotes. Him having done this trip before was the only person whether he really knew where the Coyotes were were good, mm-hmm. whether they were actually gonna deliver, which is also you always don't know. Mm. And so, if if you can, if you speak English, which he did, and if you think that you can survive and and know the the roads and where you are i would have done the same thing huh you, yeah. you know and like because you're all in survival you're mm. not a team per se uh, not with all these other people sure uh not if you're an adult you're not yeah. um which is why this, this is such a complicated issue and and why again going back to the survivor survivor mm. uh, uh word that's mm. why it's more fitting no doubt about it. There, you know, there were there was charity among along the the journey. There was there were the nuns um, in Mexico who you know gave it was like a it was like a soup kitchen or something you might call it the United States, right? It was a place where mm-hmm. the food and you know the the dignity of having your own bathroom and a toilet, even though it was crowded, right? And you described mm-hmm. it, it wasn't you know wasn't the cleanest of all, but just the fact that the food was 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 plentiful was able to let you relax and. Um, when you were talking about like with Marcelo and the the coyotes again, like you said, how can anyone who has not done the experience write about it as well as someone who has? Sounds so obvious, right? But the way that you describe the coyotes, right? You know, you always read about them and they're either just evil and you know they're trying to screw everybody over, or they're I guess everyone you read one who's like an angel, but yours they're they're humans and they, I believe they have good intentions. They get injured, they hurt their ankles, they plan as best they can but there's a lot of a lot of unplanned things that happen right mm-hmm. was that something like you said you, you trusted them do you have a different view of the idea of the coyote as you get older or is it like most of them were there to help and sure they got to make money but survival mode you know and again i live 
at the U.S. Mexico border still. You know, I'm in Tucson. Mm-hmm. I volunteer whenever I can with Salva Vision. Oh, good for you. Good. And and there's like there's an albergue uh, on on the other side. Uh, and what I can say is that the world that I described in 1999 surely doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. Um, things have changed. Oh yeah. Um, back then when I did this, um, that cartels hadn't really figured out that they can make money from mm. human beings. Hmm. Now they have figured that one out. And, and so I can only speak to the world that I know. And in 1999, surely there were people who were polleros, coyotes, who really thought sincerely that they were helping people, which they were, Mm. you know, they are. Mm -hmm. This is like any market, a job is there and you take it. Mm. And if you want to be good at your job, you do it the best that you can in order to make more money. And it's just another economy. Mm-hmm. And and that's in 1999. There were certainly good people getting people across as mm-hmm. safely as they could, mm-hmm. as safely as they knew how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, without ruining the ending, so to speak. I mean, people can figure out, you know, some of it, most of it. But you know, there was there was a third time. Uh, what was it? La tercera vez es vencida, algo así. Mm-hmm. Was the saying right? Is that basically the third time's a charm? Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, there's again, that, that, that bond with family. And I, I, I am so, I'm wondering so much and I hope that you have, and I, or I hope that you will towards the end of the book, you say, you know, I, I want, I wrote this book in many ways to be able to see, get in touch with Chino again, with Patricia, with Carla. Have you any inroads? Have you had a, any emails or Facebook messages or anything? No. And I I do have to say it's the most asked question, you know, on the road. Um, I've gone, I've done a lot of events, a lot of interviews and no, sadly, not yet. Not yet. I, my wife is very sure that they will, uh, it will happen. Um, yes. I've also had offers from headhunters who have offered their, mm. their services pro bono, which I'm still thinking. Oh, about. Uh, yeah. They're like, yeah. A, they really, I think everybody is attached to them as, as you know, I, as I am as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see, but if that does ever happen, I would, I would post it on Instagram, yeah. let people know, yeah. but no, it has not happened yet. Yeah. Nothing. What a beautiful thing that would be. And we're hoping, we're hoping for sure that that happens. You know, Chino is 19. It's not like he's a fully formed adult. I mean, I could see him, like you talk about the survival mode. I could see him being like, who's this little kid, you know, who's they're not my real family, mm-hmm. but he came back for you. Right. I mean, literally and figuratively he came back for you and, Beautiful thing, you know, the way that he would reassure you and all kinds of things like that. You will we'll end with this, I think. Um, tell us a little bit about UndocuPoets. I've I had the pleasure to, it was a virtual, but I got to um, do an open mic with Marcelo Hernandez Castillo. Yeah. yeah. I know like, you are two of the only or two of the two of the kind two of, of three. founders. Two of three. Yeah, tell, the, tell, remind me the third one, please. Uh, uh, Christopher Loma Soto. Okay. Oh, book, yeah, yeah. Just came out. Uh, from Copper Canyon, Diaries of a Terrorist. Um, and I think, yeah, only Marcelo has stayed on, but it's an organization that every year um, it's open for submissions and you win, I think it's at 
six hundred dollars or a thousand dollars i don't i don't know i've, I've stepped back um, yeah, yeah yeah but you can still submit to it and the only criteria is that if you have been undocumented before which doesn't mean that you can't apply now if you have a green card i know? see or, yeah, or, yeah, yeah you know but yeah. and anybody who has been undocumented at one point of their time in the united states can apply for this and what i will say about that is that um you you would think that the publishing world, in my in my point of view, because poets are so the vanguard of left leaning thought throughout the world, Ooh, that I in like this that. country that that in this country would be the same, hmm. and so this quote unquote movement, which wasn't you know it was just sending emails and asking people why they had this weird. Uh, must be a U.S. born or must have U.S. citizen mm-hmm. U.S. citizenship um, to poetry contest, which to me doesn't make sense. Sure. Well, on the other end, a lot of these awards do the same thing as well. They just don't advertise it. Okay. Um, I would just say that you know, yeah. uh, most prominently the National Book Award, mm-hmm. uh, the P- Pulitzer, um, which you know. Yeah, uh, it's, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, and I don't okay. understand why being born or having U.S. citizenship, which I, which I still don't have, are still requirements for mm. things in 2022. In I don't 2022. get it. Yeah. Thank you so much for writing the book. Thanks for your for your advocacy. You continued work. You know, you talk about working on the border. There's so much important work to be done there. And the book is, you know, the book is one of one. The book is one of two. I mean, it's such a a rare, unique, particular greatness. And like I said, I'm just just absolutely in awe about the way that you do the stream of consciousness, the, you know, writing from a nine-year-old's point of view, but not, you know, like dumbing it down or anything like that. We really do see through, see through your eyes. I know it was like a, you know, a cathartic experience and painful and happy and all that. So maybe you're just like, taking a break but i'd love to know maybe what's coming up what are you working on for the future <laughs> Solita Catedos. uh well eventually I, I do want to write about what happens after you know and going against the idea i think you touched upon it a little bit of you know on paper you could really say like oh this immigrant is one of the good ones but actually let me tell you about my struggles <laughs> in middle school and high school uh, and even college. So that's, that's what's coming. Yeah. Oh man. So looking forward to it. I, I'll read anything that you, you put down on paper or that you Thank put you. it up electronically and um, you know, just a pleasure to be able to get into the, to your mindset. And um, you know, I tell my students like, why we, Hey, there's Katie wanted to make an appearance. Como se llama? Loca. 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 <laughs> You know, I tell my students this idea of, you know, why the heck, why do we got to know who the Kardashians are dating and all these celebrities, what they're doing? Like the real artists are the writers, the poets, the, you know, the creative people. And so, you know, for me, talking to someone like you is like, you know, talking to to Tom Cruise, you know, so just been a pleasure. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Just been a pleasure getting inside your mindset and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, wish you great luck in the future. And maybe we can meet in real life down the road one of these days. Yeah, definitely. Appreciate so uh, much your time. Thank you. It's it's been a pleasure. And, thank you. And, and thank you. Thank you.
a pleasure it has been to speak today with Javier Zamora. Continue good luck to him with his writing, and I'm so looking forward to continuing to follow his career and his important work. Thanks for listening to episode 158 with Javier Zamora. You can now subscribe to the podcast on Apple and leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1. You can watch this and other episodes on YouTube. Watch and subscribe to the Chills at Will Podcast channel. Sign up now for the Chills at Will Podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. My last name is spelled R-I-E-H-L. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. This is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation, and I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look at an often-ignored art form. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, with both songs being used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 159 with Amanda Kors, whose poetry witnesses previous versions of herself and intimately digs into mental illness, disability, and witchcraft. Her poetry collection, It's Just a Little Blood, won the Nervous Ghost Press Prize. This episode will air on December 27th. For now, thanks again for listening, and I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills, like Javier Zamora, whose work, like Solito, gives you chills at will. Thank you.